five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. What causes fights and quarrels among us? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not act, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're adult, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says within reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace than his wise scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift up you, brothers. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one law, giver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We knew it was coming. The practice of ghosting has taken a 180 degree turn. Up until recently, many job candidates in in this very tight labor market thought nothing of accepting interviews, even job offers, and then ghosting the company that recruited them by simply not showing up. Now, new data from jobs platform Glassdoor finds that a growing number of employers are doing the same. This is from writer Gene Marks from The Guardian uh, from just a couple days ago, I believe November 6th. Are you guys familiar with ghosting? Do you know this term? It's a term that stems from the online dating world. Ghosting occurs when somebody is involved and then they simply just vanish without a trace. They disappear right in the middle uh, of an interview process. A candidate just disappears, even if the job was awarded to them. They just go away, and it's confusing. Candidates were doing this to to companies, right? So at first it was job seekers, but now companies are starting to ghost job seekers. And so whether it's from job seekers or companies, this is questionable behavior, you know, Interviewing, offering a job, and then the other, the other party just disappears. Questionable behavior, right? Well, as we've been seeing in, in James, we've been studying James over the last number of weekends, wisdom has been coming up here in the letter of James. Wisdom is a, is a big theme in this book. When we talk about wisdom, 
wisdom from God or wisdom from below, earthly, unspiritual, devilish kind of wisdom. Well, you know, as we think about ghosting, we're, we're realizing, yeah, like, ghosting, this behavior, it, it seems to stem not from God's wisdom. This is, this is coming from somewhere else, okay? Gene Marks goes on to say, regardless of who's doing it, ghosting is a despicable, selfish, irresponsible, and unprofessional practice, right? We've been studying James, and perhaps James is right there open up on your lap, or it's on your phone. Um, With God's wisdom as our guide, absolutely, we can agree with Gene Marks. We can identify, yeah, this ghosting behavior, it's not cool. It's selfish. The practice of ghosting, it has roots in selfish ambition. Now, James, this letter in the New Testament. He's been writing to churches all across the Roman Empire. And while we don't know exactly what the details are, these churches are tangled up in counterfeit wisdom. So James, putting on his pastor's hat, he's addressing these things. He has to address church issues. And that's why James is a little bit intense from time to time. James has to challenge the church. He has to warn the church. He's inviting them back to the gospel. He's inviting them back into the wisdom of God. And so today, today we're going to hear more of this intensity. That's what we have for today. We're going to get into some... It's, it's heavy, but it's just... it's. It's going to be a lot, and it's, it's my job. It's the Spirit's job to, to teach us today. And uh, let's just go to the Lord in, in prayer that he just, he just brings what he wants us to hear today. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us supernatural attention today. You would tune our hearts to hear from you, to sing of your grace, to be able to understand and connect dots, to analyze our own life and scripture. God, help us to listen, help us to learn. Again, I just ask that you give us this supernatural, just this spirit empowerment to listen in so deeply. May we learn from James today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get into our message today, It wasn't many verses ago where James instructs the church to bridle their tongue. Watch your mouth. Sorry, Aunt Hip, I wasn't looking at you. (laughs) We need, it's it's a joke we have. We need to watch our mouth. Seriously, we need to watch what we say. All right. And so James, he just recently talked about that. And out of the gentleness that comes from wisdom now, James is bringing disciplining words. James says this, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. Wow, what is threatening this church? What is threatening the church community here? We don't get any specifics. Perhaps it's a variety of things across the Roman Empire. But certainly things are, are getting intense here. Do you feel that almost the, the finger pointing type of language here? And James even uses military terms to talk to the church. He says, okay, you guys are waging war. You're fighting. All right? A couple Sundays ago, I gave you a homework assignment. James chapter 3. I asked you to, to look at verses 11 and 12. What, what are the implications of those, of those verses? Can both fresh and brackish water come out of the same spring? Do fig trees produce olives? Do grapevines grow figs? Part of the implications that perhaps you were understanding and, and looking at is, is James is getting after the source of things. It's, it's our heart, our desires, our passions. Where, do our, where does our language come from? You know, what, what defiles the person? It's not what goes in, but it, it's what comes out. The source is the problem. Our source is the problem. Where does all this fighting come from? What's the source? Well, it actually comes from our disordered desires, doesn't it? Our misplaced passions. If we drink from the teacup of counterfeit wisdom, a, a tea that is steeped in envy and selfish ambition, yeah, that's not going to taste good. It's going to be bitter. Envy and selfishness produce disorder, discord, disharmony, Right. We look at others, we start to compare, we start to get jealous. Our desires can get pretty messed up. What we're passionate about can get distorted. Our hearts are messed up. We have this selfish gravity that pulls within us. We, we covet. That's an unhealthy yearning. We lust. We murder. We, we get jumbled up in life. Now, one of the blessings of reality TV is that it shows you this on your television. How messy humans can be. So we have to sort out this frustration that James is going through. James is frustrated. To help teach this, what I see is that James has taken off his pastor's hat for a second. And he's putting on a prophet hat. He resembles an Old Testament prophet here. And he, he says this. He says, you adulterous people. You adulterous people. You know, looking through the church mail, I hope I never receive a letter that says, hey, dear Plymouth Meeting Church, you adulterous people. I, like, like, what? Those are, those are fighting words. What is he saying? You adulterous people. Well, this is an Old Testament rebuke. All right. It was common in the Old Testament days, and, and it came from the prophets. Again, prophet hat. 
Now, sometimes we think of prophecy and we think predicting the future. A large role of the prophetic ministry, it was warning. Prophets were giving them a warning. Hey, I need to tell you some harsh words here. Come back to God. It's a warning and an invite. Hey, get your life together. Come back to God. In this letter, loudly, James calls out the church. Hey, you're cheating on God. You're cheating on God. And again, to give some Old Testament background, all right, the people of Israel, God's chosen nation, God gives them a prescribed way of living, okay? And long story short, if you follow my framework, the trajectory is life. You'll be able to live out your human vocation of being fruitful and multiplying and follow my commands and obey. That equals life. If you don't, the trajectory is death. The book of Deuteronomy. You can think of it as like Israel's constitution and bylaws, right? At the end of the book, near, near the end, Deuteronomy chapter 30, before this nation of recently freed slaves, God's like, Life and prosperity, or death and destruction? You pick. A or B. Love God and walk in obedience. Keep God's commands. You'll live. You'll increase. God will bless you. You're going to live in God's land. It's going to be good. Or, if you don't, if your hearts turn away, if you're drawn away and you get in with some false gods, yeah, we're going to have some problems, Israel. It's not going to end Well, God's saying in Deuteronomy 30, to put it in common language, Israel, if you ghost me, you will not last long. Israel, do not ghost me. So God invites Israel into life. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How does Israel do with this? They struggle. They struggle. We we see a cycle, multiple cycles, moments of, of obedience, a lot of disobedience, some apostasy mixed in there, and then, and then radical obedience again. We, we see all these cycles, but really it's this downward spiral as we keep trekking through the Old Testament. I want you to know, church, uh, that God is sometimes called Elkanah, which is translated something like jealous God. God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us with imposter fake, phony gods. And multiple times throughout the Old Testament, Israel repeatedly is described as like an unfaithful spouse. And now we get to the early church, and it's like the early church is having some of the same problems here. And James says, hey, you flirt with the world, you become an enemy of God, you're in God's way. And these are tough words to hear. But keeping this in the context of worldly wisdom and fighting and envy and and selfishness, when we're loyal and loving the things that are not Christ and not of 
the ways of Christ, it means we're willing to put others down or we're willing to put God out in order to get what we want. And it can be so easy to just chase after our desires. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he boils it down, powerfully says here, those who allow their own desire to become their God must inevitably hate other human beings who stand in their way and impede their desires. Now to enjoy things in life, to have a pleasurable life, to have hobbies and passions, that's all good, and thank God that we're able to enjoy his good gifts. All right? But it's when our passions and desires and our priorities get out of whack, when we're uh, in the constant pursuit of gratification, when, when we're just always focused on self-indulgence, when we lose sight of our first love and fidelity to Jesus Christ, we can fall so hard into sin. And our desires, it, it makes us like we're enemies of God. One commentary uh, gave me this il- illustration, and I'm, I'm going to use it today. Um, think of the, the movie The Matrix. I was in sixth grade when it came out. It's, it's been around for a while. I'm not going to explain the whole movie, The Matrix. But essentially, there is a computer world called The Matrix, and then you have the real world. Computer world, real world. All right. The character, Neo, has to make a decision. Do you want to live in the fake world, or do you want to live in the real world? And Neo, he says yes to the real world. And so he is unplugged from the old, and visually on the screen, and almost even looks like a baptism. He is baptized and reborn into the real world. And here's the thing, to, to live in the real world means you're not in the fake world anymore. You, you, can't, you can't love both the real world and the matrix at the same time. We can't be chasing after God's wisdom and worldly wisdom at the same time. So we have to wrestle with this. James throws the church... A lifeline here. But God gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is borrowing from Proverbs 3.34 here. All right. The situation might look hopeless sometimes and bleak, but God has so much grace. In the Greek, it's mega grace. God has mega grace for his people, for those who turn back. Pride keeps us from listening It keeps us from learning, but God gives grace to the humble. This reminds me of Isaiah 57, 15. God relates to the humble. God is present. God relates with those who are repentant. And you know, so often, sometimes it's indirectly uh, we do this, uh, or, you know, we we don't mean to, but sometimes in... Just whether it's Christianity or just religious talk, so often we frame things up as if we're climbing a ladder. We climb a ladder, we try to do good, and we fall down. Climb, 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 fall, 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 right? 
Sometimes that's, that's how it comes across. And then for some of us, we don't even climb at all. Why bother, right? <laughs> Why even try climbing this, this ladder? But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus says, like, I'm abolishing, I'm destroying that ladder, all right? I'm here for you. Jesus lifts us up above the ladder, all right? Jesus says, if you humbly receive this free gift, that's the gospel. If you humbly receive me and what I've done, if you humbly just say yes to me, right, I'll carry you. Jesus has great grace for the humble. So what it ends up looking like, it's not climb, 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 fall, fall, fall. It's just simply living in the gospel simply. It's, it's here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Yeah, I might stumble and, and fall, but Jesus, you're going to catch me every time. Because your grace is greater. Here I am, Jesus. So in light of this great grace that God has for us, James says, submit to God. This word submit in the Greek, it's actually a Greek military term. Okay? It, 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 it's a military term. Okay, fall in line with God. It also carries the notion of repentance. Fall in line, come back home to God, stand up straight. Submit to God. Surrender. Come back. Then James gives us a strategy, almost like a recipe for humility before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So to submit to God, it's like a soldier. You're ready to oppose, resist, stand against the schemes of the devil. Resist the devil and he will fly away in failure. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Reminds me of Malachi 3.7. Israel is, again, cheating on God. But in Malachi 3, God's like, return to me and I will return to you. As far away as we are sometimes from God, God is patient and always waiting to accept us back. I also have the story of the prodigal son in mind. Luke chapter 15 a son rejects and disowns his family, his father, everything. He goes away. Downward spiral. He's essentially as low as low can be. He repents and he turns back and he comes back home. The father sees him, picks up, runs after his son. And what I love about this story, it's hidden in the Greek, in the Greek language. But the father falls into his son. It's not the son falling into the father. It's the father falling into the son. That welcome, that embrace. You're my son. You're here. You're alive. Return to me and I will return to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Hands are symbolic for our life, for our works, our lifestyle. Heart is the inner person, mind, will, and emotions. Okay, washing the removal of dirt. This is a spiritual process. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
But in a mysterious way, somehow we also play a role in this. We have agency. And we can also do things to help this spiritual washing process move along. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, this echoes Old Testament language. All right. Again, part of prophetic ministry is to give a warning to people. Time to get right. Time to be serious. Time to ditch cheap laughter and shallow joy. In Judaism, if you lose, if you lose a loved one, there's a seven-day period called sitting Shiva. You sit for seven days. You find a, a low stool. You are brought low. And you grieve. You grieve. Theologian James K.A. Smith. I guess it is not there. All right. James K.A. Smith, he writes, Dying asks something of us. And grief takes time. Sitting Shiva illustrates this paradox. Taking time gives back. When we enter into this time of mourning and lament, all right, again, dying asks something of us. It's taking something from us. But eventually, we get something back. Giving ourselves over to lament and, and mourning is a way that we receive what we need in order to move onward and, and, and forward in life. And then James concludes, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And the upside down wisdom of God, when we make ourselves low, God will lift us up. When we are face down into the dirt, like we cannot get any lower, when we are face down in the ground, when we are reminded that we are Adam made from the Adama, we are humans made from the humus, we are dust, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. When we are face down in the ground, in humility before God, his grace is greater. God will lift us up so that we can stand up tall. John Calvin once said something like this, a tree has to strike deep roots downward. So that it can grow upward. And in James' wisdom here, he knows humanity pretty well. As we humble ourselves before Jesus, he restores us and he picks us up and he loves on us. And even in these great moments of, of grace where we're just loved and, and it's just, oh, it's amazing. God loves us. There's freedom. There's victory. It's amazing. In these great grace moments, we have the tendency to still look at others. What about them? What about them? Jesus is having breakfast on the beach with his disciples. He talks to Peter off to the side. He restores Peter. What does Peter say? He looks at John. Hey, what about him? What about him, right? The church is to be a community who loves and washes each other's feet. 
You know, James wants us to look at others. He, he, he wants us to have compassion for others, but he doesn't want us to look at others in the sense of comparison. We're to be a church who loves and washes each other's feet. We're to take care of the orphan and the widow. We're not supposed to show favoritism. We're to put our faith in action. We are this alternative entity here in this earth. And so therefore, James says, he says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. This is one lawgiver. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We can work through our stuff. We can humble ourselves before God. We can experience God's amazing grace. And then we turn our our head and we start noticing others. And very quickly, we make things not about God's grace. We make it about ourselves or we make it about other people. We start comparing. We get jealousy. We get jealous and envy. And it's, it's like, no, just stop. Focus on God's grace. Don't worry about others. Slander is not to be in the church. Neither is judgment. Your job is not to judge others. Because when we judge, we are no longer doers of God's way, but we actually stand over God's way as a judge. And so know this. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He alone saves. He alone destroys. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. So who are we to step in and judge others. How does this relate? The, the, the church humbled is the church exalted. The church rooted in the gospel is the church that keeps the royal law of scripture. Hey, love God, love people. Love God, love people. And here's something we can try. If we're so focused on loving God and loving others, we can't possibly think about judging, right? So how are you guys doing? You with me? We covered a lot of ground today. And sometimes the application in the Bible is really just to sit with the text. We have to sit Shiva with Scripture. We have to sit. It's going to take something from us, but eventually it will give back. And we'll know how to live. We'll know how to move forward. But there are, there is some, some practical application I just want to draw attention to. The church needs to be aware of prayer problems. Going back to verses 2 and 3. James reveals two main problems. Church, you're not praying. Or if you do pray, you're praying with the wrong motives. The humility-deficient church simply doesn't ask God for help, for wisdom. <clears throat> so as we just listen in today, yeah, like, we don't want to cheat on God. We don't want to go to others for, for help. Let, let's go to God for help. We want to check our values, check our desires. Remember James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. So let's humble ourselves, let's empty ourselves, let's go for that deep humility before God. 
Believe that God has great grace for you. Don't ghost God. Let's go to God in prayer. And the second point here with prayer is that the humility deficient church prays with wrong motives. Because our hearts are messed up, our desires are out of whack. So what do we do? We humble ourselves. We empty ourselves. We go after the deep humility before God. And we believe that God has great grace for us. God has great grace for you, and he will lift you up. We could rephrase some of this. Sometimes we pray for the wrong motives. It's because we, we don't ask God for what he wants for us. And so it's in the times of purging. It's in the time of, of emptying ourselves out. When we just lay everything out on the table, we just spill everything, just completely vulnerable and empty before God. That's when God reorients us. He weeds out our desires and he starts to cultivate his desires for us. And so I just want to leave you with two questions. What does God desire for you? What does God desire for your church?